welcome into another edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andraki here with Lance Brazdowski, Marquee Sports Network multimedia producer and the architect of the latest top 20 Cubs prospect rankings that you can check out right now on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. Lance, in addition to being a tireless worker in so many aspects of uh, with the network, he's also right now in <laughs> Tennessee. You can see it in the background if you're watching on the app. Uh, he's down with the, the Double A Smokies, uh, and he had an opportunity to talk to some of the guys down there, including Brennan Davis, the kind of unquestioned, unanimous uh, top prospect in the Cubs system. And Lance, as you put together these top 20 prospect rankings, how easy was it to know you could work from one down? Because it was Brendan Davis and then everybody else, almost kind of like when David Ross had Craig Kimbrell, he knew the ninth inning was booked and then go from there. Was that kind of the same approach you took as yeah. you, you filled out these rankings? Absolutely. It's a great analogy. Yeah, it's, it's very nice to set that. I wrote that blurb first very quickly. I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to say here. I've talked to a lot of people who love Brendan Davis as a player, extremely polished every aspect of his, of his ability to hit, field, run, throw, hit for power get on base is, is average to plus, which just nets out to a, a plus player. So you're putting him, you know, in that top, say, 25% of major league talents. Um, so I, I love Brendan Davis, super nice guy. Makeup's really good. It's just, it's a great approach. Everything he's doing so far down in Tennessee is fantastic. The levels, you know, the minor leagues this year have been really odd in terms of who's at what level and whether they should be at that level. So you're getting a lot of mixed pitching and stuff, but this high at a double-A jump is huge and he's performing. And that's even more validation for the number one rank. Yeah, that was one of the points I really liked from your conversation with Brendan Lance was just talking about the jump from high A, you asked him, the jump from high A to double A, how different it was, how those pitchers, how good the pitchers are. And, and his response was like, yeah, they're, they're really good. The, the guys, obviously, there's a lot more talent in double A versus class A. And for a guy who was just at the alternate site, which side note, he called it site B quite a bit. And that was one of the first times yeah. I'd really heard that. I'd maybe heard that in passing once or twice, but it was mostly like alternate site. And he kept saying like site B. So every time he said it, it was kind of like a, a little trigger for me, but just Lance, when you had, you had the rankings done, then the opportunity to talk to Brennan, what was that conversation like? Did you tell him, Hey, you're number one on my list. I did. I, I think I started the conversation by saying our number one prospect. And I think he chuckled or something. So, uh, I mean, I, I've been consensus on that for a little bit. I don't see too much deviation, you know, Brennan Marquez, I think was in the conversation. The injuries have been tough on him and stuff. And, but no, I think he did. He got a little chuckle out of it. It was good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the chat you had with Brennan too. We'll hear from him more. But my favorite part was just Davis sounds like a big leaguer to me in talking about the mental component and working through the the struggles and just the daily life. That he said a lot of the things in your guys's convo that a lot of big leaguers, I think, like I hear David Ross and some of these other guys talk about a lot. So let's hear from Brennan now as Lance caught up with him in Tennessee this week. I'm honored to be joined by the number one prospect in the Cubs system, Brennan Davis, out here in Tennessee. There's a little bit of rain going on in the background, so we have some guys okay. in the peripheral around here playing catch, so there might be some fun noises, but I uh, yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. I heard me. there's a Wii Sports tournament going on, potentially. Right, maybe later. Uh, we got to fill our time, have to compete, so love it. no love better it. way. Awesome. Um, I got to admit, your lockdown must have been extremely productive for you to jump from A ball mm. to high A and be able to basically post almost identical stats yeah. from 2019 to 2021 early. What did you do in lockdown to stay so <laughs> locked in? I mean, I was I had the 
the privilege of going to Site B and being able to do that and experience that. So I think that was a big part of my development. But I definitely had a an ideal setup in Arizona, being able to hit and still lift to some extent. So I don't think I lost as much as other people lost when they had to like could didn't didn't have anything. You know, like some people weren't in situations where they could leave their house at all. But I had a I was very fortunate. What's the biggest difference between high A and double A? Guys are better. <laughs> They're a lot better. They don't miss as much, and they capitalize on mistakes. And I think it's it's big to stick to your approach here and just moving forward. I mean, I, I learned that the hard way in Site B. <laughs> it was nice to be able to do Site B and not have any negative repercussions stat-wise, all that. I could really take the time to really hone in on myself and myself as a player. So. I thought that was huge. Is this the biggest jump in quality of opponents that you've experienced in your career? Yes, by far. Guys here are good. Has it been an advantage to you guys at all uh, to have a guy like Strumpf do a very similar kind of path in mm -hmm. terms of starting in high and jumping to double A? How's the communication been with him? Yeah, I mean, me and Strumpf are our roommates on the road. We do all our correctives beforehand, so we, we hang out a lot. We do a lot together. And I think it, it was like having a simil similar approach to the game and how we go about our business has really been huge because it's it's really hard to get caught caught up in like the whole season but if you have somebody who's like-minded and has the same goals as you it makes it a lot easier and he has an extensive college background a ton of mm -hmm. success uh, you obviously drafted at a high school bit of a contrast there but <laughs> I imagine you've learned something from him yeah I mean there's nobody that's more level-headed than Chase and I really respect that out of him is the mental side, that, that level-headedness, something that yeah. you think is like a huge part of hitting that maybe people don't talk about enough? I think it is because there's great hitters, and then there's people who think they're great hitters and that they will themselves to hit. So, I mean, the mental side of things are huge, and I'm learning that more now when you experience struggle and being able to bounce back from that. I think it's, it's really important, and I don't think it's something that's taught enough in the younger levels or high school or like just moving moving up, I think it's it's key to being a successful baseball player. Do you do anything specifically to stay present? Do you meditate? Do you you know is it music for you that kind of gets you in that mindset? What is uh, um, how do you stay level-headed? Yeah, I think it's surrounding yourself with level-headed people. Try not to be around guys who ride the wave or the happiest people ever when they're doing great, but depressed and sad when they're not doing great. So. I like surrounding myself with people who are even keeled and I, I have a lot of verbal cues that get me back back on track and we have a great um, mental skills department here with the Cubs so they gave they gave everybody the tools, it's just a matter if you use them. Can I dig in on Give me a verbal cue that you're willing to share. Yeah, so I think this year was a big one was I tried to, well in 2019 I tried to break down every game and like Try not to look at everything as a whole, but game by game, I wanted to win the day. So I thought one for three, great day. One for four, good day. Oh for, get them tomorrow. But looking at it now, this this season, I'm I got the approach where it's like I'm O for O every at bat, and I want to win every at bat. So I I mean just I think that's the progression of my mental game <laughs> per se. But I think that's a step in the right direction, and it's brought me success so far. How was the oddity of the schedule this year, playing teams successfully six games in a row, seeing the same 
pen arms probably three to four times potentially. Oh, man. It must be weird and insane. It stinks. It stinks. <laughs> Why does it stink? I mean, we're playing the Reds and the Angels 30 times this year, and we're playing everybody else like 10 times. It's just seeing guy, the same guys over and over. It's like the cat and mouse game of you make an adjustment, I adjust back. I make the adjustment, you counter that. And, I mean, you learn tendencies and players and all that, which is kind of cool. And you kind of form relationships with, like, opposing teams because you see them so much. You're spending, like, half the year playing them. So, I mean, that part of it's pretty cool. But being stuck in one place for a week stretch kind of stinks. I got to imagine then heading to the Futures game in Denver <laughs> was a fantastic little break. It was a nice break. experience. <laughs> I gotta imagine there was one interaction there that stood out to you most. What was it? Yeah, probably, probably that that guy Ken Ken Griffey. I've heard yeah, of him. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool guy. What did you talk to him about? I don't think I said much because I was kind of <laughs> not prepared. But <laughs> what did nothing, he tell you? <laughs> there's nothing really to say. I mean, he's one of the best, if not the best, and to be in his presence and for him to give me an award is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. You had two home runs in that game. I, I think it was a slider and a fastball. Yeah. Uh, How did you feel at the play? Did you know those were both out? Is it fun to hit in cores? <laughs> Give me all the details. Um, first at bat, I struck out on three straight pitches. So I was like, ooh, second at bat, I need to do something here. <laughs> so, I mean, I got my pitch to hit, and I, I did damage with it. I wanted to say I knew, it was, I knew it was gone, but I hit it to dead center, so I'm never one to pimp home runs. So I ran. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I imagine uh, seeing a lot of arms there who are sitting 98 plus probably gave you a bit of a wake-up call, or maybe you've seen this in the minor leagues this yeah. year in terms of what the league may look like upon your arrival, hopefully at the major league level. Yeah. Um, is that daunting? Do you think it would be drastically different, say, in five years where we're seeing velocity continues to tick up and hitters are going to keep having to adjust? Yeah, I mean, I think velocity keeps going up. I don't see it's been on a, on a trend upwards, and I don't see it stopping because – the more information those pitchers have and the better they get, the cleaner their mechanics get, all that stuff. I just think as hitters, it's just adapting to velo as opposed to handling it. It's like they're, they're going to adjust, we're going to adjust back, or the league's going to change the baseballs <laughs> and make the adjustment for us. But I think velocity's awesome for the game. Everybody wants to see people throw 100, but everybody wants to see people hit well and have offense too, so I think it's kind of the happy medium of both. It's probably not only move, uh, excuse me, velocity, but also movement as well. There's mm -hmm. this idea of those high vertical movement fastballs that don't drop as much as a mm -hmm. hitter would expect, kind of dominating the game. Yeah. There's this idea I've heard out there that guys actually have to swing where the pitch is not in order to make contact with it. Is that mm -hmm. something you've ever applied in your approach at the plate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a true statement for elevated fastballs because you see a fastball at the top of the zone, you're like. In your mind, it's like an, op an optical illusion, per se. And you have to swing like two inches above where you think it's going to be. Or just don't swing at it, which I'm trying not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Chad a little bit about your approach to the plate and how it's mm -hmm. developed. And he was talking a lot about how you know, teams have been hammering you inside, particularly. And mm -hmm. having that be almost a difficulty in trying to assess your actual performance, given you know, inside fastballs for right-handed hitters up and in mm -hmm. are probably hard pitches to hit in general. <laughs> So I guess from a standpoint of, you know, looking at metrics and stats, how do you approach, you know, data as a way to help kind of almost, I guess, stabilize your mind in terms of what you're succeeding at and what you're not, especially when you're getting some maybe outlier mm -hmm. samples of pitchers against you? Yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to 
follow their scouting report that they've gathered, and I respect it. But there's a lot of times where guys throw in and they miss in, so I've gotten hit a lot this season, so it kind of stinks. But um, just knowing where I'm the best at and sticking to my approach and knowing that I can't cover the whole plate and having a zone and being able to zone in on a pitcher is, is what's going to bring me success. And I think that's the biggest point. Is that, like, in terms of your short-term and long-term development goals, would you say that that mm -hmm. does a pretty good job of encapsulating them? Yeah, I think it's short-term. Having an approach every pitcher long-term is knowing my overall approach day-to-day. -day. Absolutely. Um, there's this idea out there in player development that pitching, because pitchers have the initiative, is actually a little bit more easy to develop because there's mm -hmm. subjective way of looking at things as to we need to get a ball to move like this or we want your velocity here, whereas you guys as hitters, it's much more reactionary. You don't really have the ability to tell the pitcher yeah. what he wants to throw in a particular counter, where you want him to throw. I'm sure that would be great for you. Yeah. I'm sure you'd be hitting 40 home runs. but uh, <laughs> <It'd> be awesome. It'd <laughs> yeah, be great. But um, from a development standpoint for you, um, is this something you've thought about at all? Like, are you, I don't mm -hmm. want to say jealous of pitchers, <laughs> but like, do you expect hitting advancement to catch up to how accelerated pitching advancement has been in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it will catch up because it, it always has, but it's definitely easier for pitchers, like you said, like during the COVID year, pitchers came back through throwing flames <laughs> and like their stuff was good and like, they didn't miss a year of hand-eye coordination and like bat-to-ball skills and all that stuff that you would get in like 400, 500 at-bats and being able to see spin and all that. So I think that's why pitchers dominated a little bit at first. And like I said, hitters bounce back and make the adjustment and start getting their, hitting their stride and it all evens out. Mm -hmm. There's been some rumors of a bit of a almost a development gap that's occurred between the minor leagues with the layoff you obviously were at mm -hmm. B and stuff like that. So maybe maybe not as much for you, but you know, yeah. watching guys at the major leagues jump up, the Wanda Francos of the world, top prospects coming mm -hmm. up and not hitting as exceptionally well as we've seen in AAA. Do you mm -hmm. do you think there is a gap that has been created between the major leagues and minor leagues because of how COVID has impacted the league? I think so, because it's forced so many guys out of their routine and what they what they're used to, and it's going to take time for mm -hmm. for it to all level out and there's nothing that you could do to really change that you can't really simulate baseball games if you don't have baseball games going on <laughs> true best you can do is machine and it's not always true spin like it's just it's hard it's yeah. hard and I think eventually it'll catch up but it is what it is right now yeah I was just talking to Chad Allen a little bit hitting coach uh, mm -hmm. for on this idea of that pitching machines don't actually replicate, you know, sliders in particular in terms yeah. of the movement profile you're seeing on that pitch. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to mimic that in mm -hmm. machine work. Um, so what is your approach knowing that you say you're facing a guy with a, a heavy gyro sliders pitch that's not moving too much, low spin efficiency. Mm -hmm. You guys can't actually replicate that on a machine. So what are you doing, say, in cage work? Or what are you doing with the machine such that you know that night, mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to be anything like you're currently seeing yeah. pregame? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird, but it's kind of just the thought process of like knowing the pitch shape, okay, as opposed to like seeing it before like off a machine. So like you got to stay on the heater and adjust to off speed always, but you can't replicate it. So you're gonna have to know that his slider has depth or it has more horizontal movement. You know what I mean? Like so, it's it's kind of weird to explain. I never really had to like explain it this way, but. Um, yeah, just knowing pitch shape and arm action and where it needs to start to be in your hitting zone. It's it's all about like you know they're gonna throw it. <laughs> you gotta know where you want it to start and where you want it to end up for it to be 
somewhere where you can do damage because you're not trying to chase or get yourself out easy like that. So I think that's the biggest point. Mm -hmm. Is there any way that watching video of a pitcher would help in terms of visualizing that pitch mm -hmm. tape, even if the camera's offset or even yeah. if something's wrong with it? Is yeah, that, we, that we have video of all the guys, and I think that does help being able to pick up arm action and movement, the movement profile and all that. Mm -hmm. Chad also mentioned you guys have a machine that is able to replicate pitches mm -hmm. almost identically to what you're going to see. Is there a bit of a difference between just seeing regular cage work and then jumping on that machine? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, the biggest thing with... The machine is it's hard to get timing, and timing's so key mm. with hitting. So it's hard to duplicate, like, the reaction area of, like, being on a fastball, adjusting to off-speed from a machine, but it's the best we can do. So He also said that, like, the slot at which the pitch is coming out mm -hmm. is one that isn't actually maybe replicating yeah. what's going to happen in game. Exactly, and guys are short and tall and all sizes, so mm -hmm. it's going to be impossible to replicate. It's just, just something that takes time and reps and actual game, game at-bats. Uh, final question here, what are Cubs fans getting in you as a player? <laughs> I just want to be a guy that everybody knows what they're going to get every, each and every day. It's going to be happy, have fun, interact with the fans, have a good time, and just be, be the epitome of Cubs baseball. Have, have fun, win ball games, and bring success to Chicago. Thanks, Brendan. <laughs> of course. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. All right, that was a great chat with Brennan. We thank him for his time. Lance, you talked about how easy it was to slot him into number one in your rankings. But just overall, as you were compiling this list, there were a lot of challenges. We didn't see minor league baseball last year. There was uh, site B action or alternate site action last year, but really a lot of these guys, there's a smaller sample size. And some of the others like Braylon Marquez or Cole Franklin, we haven't even seen pitch yet this season just due to injuries or, or other factors. So as you were putting together this list and trying to figure out where to rank all of these guys and then factor in the 2021 MLB draft and then all the trades at the trade deadline, what were the challenges to, to you to put together this rankings? What stood out to you most as being difficult as you figured out where to order guys after Brandon Davis? Particularly in that two through 10 window, a lot of these guys are on the complex in Arizona and the service level statistics there, you're looking at like batting average and OVP and stuff like that are not particularly representative of anything going on, especially because from what I've heard from scouts, the pitching down there is particularly I guess the word is grotesque this year in terms of the command. <laughs> so it's just not good. Like you, you, you confront this with any Arizona complex scout. They're all like, it's tough. It is difficult to sit through a game where guys are working four per inning and they're rolling innings, et cetera. So without that data, you then have to go to some minor league data and opinion. You have to take a very subjective approach to what a scout thinks of a certain player on the complex, whether it be Owen Casey, whether it be Reginald Preciado, whether it be Kevin Alcantara. Like there's a lot of really good talent, really projectable talent in the Cubs system that's not stuck at the complex, but will eventually move out of the complex. And we just, it, it's really hard to rank those guys next to each other. We just got Canario bumped up to high A. That's good to see him performing extremely well, especially on the, on the bat of all day and the power side um, at a higher level against more advanced pitching. But, you know, these guys are at different development stages, even though they're around the same age, especially body-wise. I think Owen Casey's pretty developed. He's not maxed out, but He's at the point where you're not going to see him put on 15 to 20 pounds. I think Kevin Alcantara could add 30 pounds and no one would notice. Like he's a huge, huge guy. He's six foot six, 
I think he's like 180, 190 right now. And like, it's, it's, that's a huge issue, I think, in trying to project things out and trying to understand, you know, where to place one guy next to another. Yeah. And specifically too, with um, some of the guys in the, already in the Cub system, I know you kind of had your mind set on a lot of these guys, a lot of scouting and stuff, but then the trade deadline changes things. So it's only been about three weeks since then, but you know, I, I know a lot of the trade, the guys the Cubs traded for are high up in your rankings as well. We mentioned that two through 10 pocket. So Pete Crow Armstrong is two. Jordan Wicks, the first round draft pick just a month ago. He's number three. Owen Casey, number four. Kevin Alcantara comes in at fifth. Miguel Amaya, holdover in the system, is sixth. Christian Hernandez, seventh. He was uh, the international signing from over the past winter. Uh, Ed Howard, the hometown kid, eighth. Alexander Canario, who you just mentioned, uh, coming over from the Giants, moved up to high A. He's ninth. And then Reginald Preciado also came over in the Darvish trade along with Casey, uh, is sitting at 10th. So, Lance, as you look at those guys, too, how much movement do you think there might be for for them moving forward? Just because Pete Armstrong, we mentioned, like, there wasn't a, a there's not a huge book out on him. He's only played you know six or nine. I forget what it is. Uh, minor league games because now he's down with an injury. He was just a first round draft pick last year. Preciado, Howard, Casey are all guys that are getting their first taste. Uh, Hernandez as well, getting their first taste of pro ball. So how much movement do you think there could be in the two through 10 where a lot of these guys are, like you mentioned, low levels, high upside, but also maybe, you know, some risk associated with that. Yeah, I think there could be a lot of movement, especially within like these proverbial tiers, I guess, so to speak, you know, between that two through 10 and then through the 11 through 2019 and then beyond there. Like, I think there could be a lot of inter movement inter in those tiers. I think the tiers themselves to jump between one of the tiers, you need to see something develop that we're not kind of expecting or really good performance in one way or another. So I don't want to say there's a hard line between like 10 and 11, but I do think it's a little bit tougher for like those guys to jump up. Like I think Marquez, obviously, because he's the top of that tier, there's a better chance that you see him jump into the top 10. And then you go beyond that. And it's, it's a little tougher. Like you need to see a jump. We're not expecting whether it be a velocity jump, which is very possible, very difficult to project for the most part. Um, something like that to jump between the tier. But with that being said, the, the intra tier movement, I think could be huge. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Preciado, one of the issues with him, uh, is he doesn't lift the ball too much. Hits the ball really well, really aggressive swinger, really good contact rate. But to be able to succeed at the major league level, we've seen consistently that you need to be able to hit the ball hard. And when you hit the ball hard, it has to be in the air. And this is validated among almost every single of the top talents. And Preciado's putting a lot of balls on the ground right now. So if that changes, he ends up probably jumping into the top five. And if you look at a guy like Owen Casey, if his approach gets better, and if this idea between whether he has long levers or not affecting his hit tool in the long term, if we get a little more clarity on that, I think he could jump even higher. Ed Howard, if he starts hitting at Merrill Beatrice, I expect him to do, he could jump up. It's just there's there's not as many like this crazy thing needs to change. I think it's things that we we really should be expecting from these top 10 prospects to change that could allow them, you know, if one thing changes before another, I'm, I'm comfortable moving those guys up. You know, I think I'm a little bit more reactionary to what's happening rather than a lot of people who maybe project. and. I think that's maybe a fault of the list, but at the same time, I think that is a little bit more reflective of it kind of encapsulating a point in time rather than like, we can only analyze this in 10 years. You know, it's like, I don't really think there's too much value in looking at a prospect list to the public side specifically in 10 years to a major league team. That's extremely important. That's what Jed and everyone's trying to do. But for the public, I think a snapshot of what's currently going on is a little bit more important than saying, you know, when this guy's 28, what's he going to look like? 
But again, there's a balance in all this. And I think everyone has different philosophies as to how, how they put a list together. Um, but that's kind of like where my brain uh, thinks about, I guess, those tiers, that 2 through 10, 11 through 20 windows. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I like the way you just explained it, too, because I know in our conversations, um, that just I think that's the best way to look at it is like a little bit reactionary, which is okay, because as we've talked about before, like there's no right answer in terms of it's all projecting, trying to predict the future. And as we know, that's that's impossible to do. So it's mm. looking at tools. And, and you mentioned a guy like Casey or Alcantara who have these big, loud tools or long levers, as you mentioned, um, but also just reacting to what, what's happened. And I think the reactionary, too, is a little bit I don't want to necessarily say more important for fans, but it may be more pertinent for fans, especially those that focus on Chicago mm. more often than anything. Cause if you look at prospect rankings, I mean, Edward Alcelai was up pretty high for the most part, but Justin yep. Steele was kind of in the middle of the pack, Keegan Thompson as well. And both of those guys have come up and made a big impact already on, on the big league rotation. And, and if you just look based off of prospect rankings, they're going to have, more of an impact than maybe some of the other guys or probably a lot of the other guys that were ranked ahead of them by other prospect lists. So, um, so I like that a lot. I like the reactionary focusing on what has actually happened and what might happen in the future too. But it, you also mentioned Lance with Braylon Marquez there. Speaking of reactionary, how do you focus on that or, or react on the fact that he hasn't pitched yet this year? He's dealt with some shoulder injury. He was slowed by COVID at the beginning of the year as well. Uh, wasn't in spring training with the team because of that. So just mm -hmm. overall, how did you look at that? Because this was a guy who was a top three prospect in the system, can throw 101 from the left side, but now comes in at 11 on the ranking, in part because there's a lot of other guys that were added to the system. Yeah. But also because he hasn't pitched this year, right? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is relying on what we saw in 2019. And and, and not really doing too much beyond that. I, it's just really difficult to confirm things without game action, especially because if you look at a lot of player development too, uh, in like pitch design circles and hitter improvement circles, you could replicate one thing in practice or in non-game situations, then get into the game and have issue, say replicating that pitch shape or replicating anything. Someone just hit a home run in the background. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> replicating that pitch shape. And it's, it's just, it's a little bit complex in the fact that like getting it to happen in game is difficult. So for me, I really took, the approach of let's look at what it happened in 2019 or 2020 Marquez was up at the major league level pitched in, I think on the South side, actually in a game. Um, yep. So I react to that a little bit, take that as a grain of salt. And then re the reality was I just adjusted down a little bit because of the injury. And again, that leaves the open, that leaves open the opportunity for a quick reassessment back up. If again, Marquez can easily jump into that top tier again, if he comes out, he's throwing 98 plus the changeup looks good. Everything looks good. Then next thing you know, um, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it evens out. I think it, it'll work out at the end of the day, but the injuries are tough. Cole Franklin, same idea. Michael McAveen, probably another individual that I think could have made the, the, the honorable mentions who are pretty much just the 20 through 24, in my opinion, 21 through 24. Um, McAveen, Cole Franklin, um, I'm sure I'm missing some other names, but the injuries are really difficult. They're, they're, you know, Pete Cromstrom, we mentioned too, we talked about him a little bit. He's a guy like, I, I do think that swing, swing rate is something that stabilizes relatively quick. And we saw that really early on that he was able to recognize spin. And uh, I think it was Brooklyn where he was playing with the Mets organization. So I, I although that's a small sample and may, he's not going to have a five, whatever he had OBP 500 OBP, but the fact that he, he was able to lay off advanced breaking balls and things along those lines very early, I think is pretty predictive of, he was probably a little bit advanced for that level. So I think it's also one of the reasons why I really liked him. I think that hits was huge, huge on the floor and the defense is gold glove caliber and centering. I, I don't see too much variance in that profile. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned too, like with Cole Franklin and Michael McAveen, those were two guys that were on the preseason iteration of this list. Uh, mm-hmm. Franklin, we were really high on, and you know, we really, yeah. To, to Matt Dory, um, the Cubs VP of player development, and and he and the Cubs were really high on him coming into this year. And I know McAveen is a guy that they're also very high on. Um, who I think McAveen was 19 on your preseason list, I believe. <sighs> Um, yeah. and Franklin was like about sixth or seventh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, two guys obviously impacted by injury. But what stands out to me most when I when I read through your list, Lance, is um, just how many guys weren't in this in this farm system a year ago. Like more than half of the list, eleven guys were not in the farm system. If we looked at August eighteenth of two thousand twenty, and even a couple other of those, you know, a few others like Ed Howard and Burl Caraway. Caraway's twentieth. They were just drafted last year. And then Christian mm-hmm. Hernandez as well, you know, signed internationally. But then trades, you, you have three guys from the Darvish deal. Um, what, six guys I count? Uh, let's see. Crow Armstrong messed me up because it's two names. So, uh, <laughs> so seven guys, three, four, six guys. I'm sorry. Six guys from the 2001 trade deadline uh, hall in there as well. But just with the major influx of, of talent, how did that affect where you ranked some of the holdovers? Like we mentioned the injuries with maybe Marquez and, and Franklin and Amaya, but also like with Christopher Morrell or Ryan Jensen or Cole Roeder, how did, how did the influx of talent affect how you rank some of the other holdovers from your preseason list and guys that have been in the, in the farm system for a little bit here? Yeah, the reality was they injected a lot of talent that is very young, uh, that is in that complex to able level aside from Caleb Killian and uh, Vizcano was already up at high A. But that that creates a bit of a complex situation, I think, where when guys get higher level, I think you get a the let's say the range of probabilities kind of contracts a little bit. You start to get a better idea of where that mean outcome is and where maybe the outlier ceiling outcome is. But on a lot of guys in the complex, that range is much bigger because they're younger, number one, and also because you just don't understand enough about their bodies or about their hits full and their power projection, et cetera. So I do think that maybe I have a little bit of bias towards the younger players because I see a little bit more of a ceiling there. So in terms of what they injected, like they injected so much young talent that I did, I think, as I was going through, I have a tendency to put some of those guys that I thought were a little more projectable and that you may be able to, may be able to see a huge power jump or hits whole bump with um, a little bit higher per se than like a Morel, who we we kind of, I think, know what Morel is going to be. I'm really excited to talk to him actually later today. Um, but he's a, like the makeup on that kid is insane from every scout I talked to. I don't think I've talked to a scout who hasn't started by saying like the on-field leadership for him is evident. And I'm, I'm excited to see that. I think uh, Scotty and I, our producer, are uh, excited to see that tonight. And someone's talking to me in the background. That's all right. Hopefully they're excited about Chris Morrell like me. But uh, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's just, uh, you know, Morrell, um, Jensen too is another one. Uh, it's just, I, maybe Jensen's a little bit younger. But yeah, it's, I think it's just a mix of that. You're not exactly sure, you know, the ceiling. The ceiling is really it for a lot of those young guys. A little bit higher. I guess I have a tendency to push towards those. I end up, I ended up pushing those guys ahead. But again, I don't think there's really an issue. There's really not too much, you know, waffling between, um, anything. And I, there's a case where else should be 10. There's a case, you know, any of those guys, Jensen, some of the guys who've been around should be higher. And I, I I'm open to hearing those arguments. Tweet me at Twitter. I, I, I shot that out there in terms of being willing to be peppered by questions. And I'm happy to talk through any of my ranks because I thought through them all and I talked to people about them. So it's, it's, it's a thorough list, even if you disagree, I, I'd like to think. <laughs> so Ed, Lance, as you were talking to people and the scouts, you mentioned, um, that you know, and just running through your Rolodex, although I don't think those are really uh, <laughs> around anymore, but just your digital Rolodex and um, talking to people and breakdown video and stuff your, yourself and then putting together the list. What was most surprising to you? What had you think like, 
oh, wow, I didn't know this about, you know, hearing from a scout or talking to a guy like I know mm-hmm. we talked after Max, you, your conversation with Bain and how he in depth he goes in analytics, but just in general, putting together kind of the 24, including the honorable mentions, what stood out to you most as, as surprising? I think the macro theme is that young talent is really, really good. And I don't think a lot of these macro trends we're seeing at the major league level are going to slow down, um, specifically related to how hard guys are hitting balls, how, throw, how hard guys are throwing the pitch movement, how incredible it is. You're seeing like, like Otani trying in sliders that are just going insane. And like, I don't really think that's going to slow down based on my interactions because the guys that are like the Max Baines and high A, like their understanding of what they need to do to get better is so good. And I think that that's been one of the, the hidden things of player development over the last couple of years is like, we're getting much better at understanding how to make guys better, how to take objective action to make them better, which is extremely important. I think that that objective versus subjective nature of like, we have data to back this up versus like, I think this is good. And I think this will help is, is a contrast in player development. I think that a lot of teams are trying to really cut out as much subjective as possible, although a blend is necessary. You can't purely rely on the data. And I'll stand by that. And I imagine the best organizations in baseball stand by that as well. So it's, it's, it's just evident that a lot of these guys are extremely talented and have a really good understanding of what's going on at the major league level in terms of player development. I think that really only helps them in terms of, uh, in terms of their future projection. I, I just think the league's going to continue to get better. It's really what it is. And like, and Max Bain's an honorable mention, and I think he could coach that, that South Bend team. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Like Jensen too, his, his ability, his mental approach and his feel, like, it's just, it's crazy. These guys are so good. And I, even, even when I started coming to the minor leagues, like, let's say like four or five years ago, maybe like, I feel like the understanding of the guys I'm talking to at comparable levels is just immensely better. And I don't know if that's just a small sample bias thing, but it's evident to me. And I, I don't think it's going to slow down. All right. So Lance, we're going to do, and I, I say we, you are going to do a 2022 <laughs> preseason top prospects ranking as well. Um, between now and then, so you like to project and look out to the future. What's the biggest change in your list, do you think, between now, you, you know, August 18th, August 17th, when it, it came out, mm-hmm. and say like February, when we unveil like the 2022 preseason list? Because a lot of the guys on this list, actually, probably none of them will graduate. I, I doubt any of them. No. Will up, but between the rest of this season and then any, you know, instructs or Arizona Fall League or anything else, what do you think changes the most from your current list to, the, to that new uh, 2022 preseason? Yeah, I think this depends heavily on things that haven't happened, which is Instructs Fall Instructional League and also Arizona Fall League, which is, again, really good competitive play that we can get, that we can get a kind of information on from scouts and other people who have seen these guys play competitive balls as opposed to maybe seeing them like an, a site be in a, or an alt-site situation. And uh, that, I think, will affect things. I think one of the guys I'm really interested in to see if he comes stateside this year as opposed to next year is Christian Hernandez. The, the bad of ball data for him in the minor league level in the DSL, right, in the Dominican Summer League is, is exceptional. Um, and I believe there's some projection that he could stick at short. And if that happens, I think he ends up being probably number two on this list pretty quickly. Um, as long as I get some scout validation as to what he looks like and whether that the, the projectableness of the defensive side, because the defensive side is such an implication on what the offensive bar is at the major league level for that player to actually succeed. So Hernandez is what I'm, I'm keenly kind of aware of. I think there's a lot of variability in that profile, but also just a lot of the pitchers, like as you talked about, like we just kind of had a lot of injuries. And I want to see a lot of the pitchers that are off the list like, I want to see a little more DJ Hers. really interested in him, love his fastball. I'd love to see Riley Thompson go to AFL, Arizona Fall League, or Instructs and get more reps if, if he gets off if he's bad on a shoulder injury. You got to fact check me on that, not 100% sure. Brother Marquez, I think, is a candidate for Fall League as well. A lot of these guys are candidates for Fall League, and that's just more information and more competition and more really good game action that we can use to then inform our, our 2022 preseason list. 
Yeah, I know Franklin, we talked about too, but just a Franklin's guy that's loved, yeah. Love and yeah, he, he, the Cubs are hoping, and last we talked to them about it, they're hoping that guys like Marquez and Riley Thompson and Cole Franklin can pitch in the fall somewhere, just get off the mound. Uh, Franklin's yep. dealing with oblique, and they're dealing with, with some shoulder injuries. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, you know, between that and then, you know, whatever Pete Armstrong is able to do, I, obviously mm. probably not a whole ton this year. Um, Jordan Wicks was, as we mentioned, the first round draft pick. Cubs are obviously going to take it easy on him, but those are those are probably five guys that I'm really looking forward to to seeing maybe either later this fall or early next year in, in spring or in the beginning of the minor league season just to see how they play out and how they might alter the, the course of this farm system as well. So, Lance, thank you for stopping by. We really appreciate the insight and uh, love hearing more. Again, check out MarqueeSportsNetwork.com for Lance's full top 20 breakdown. And as we mentioned, there are four honorable mentions on there as well. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in.